uh, this morning just observe how just the mood without defining it just be the the witness what is what is the kind of emotional mood that you can observe that you're experiencing now That we don't usually notice unless it's more extreme, like if we're in a kind of <coughs> extremely high state or angry state or something strong. And it kind of makes us pay attention. Extremities will always force our attention. But uh, so much of life is neither extreme, isn't it? It's just breathing sitting, standing, walking, lying down. The state of mind, the mood that you're experiencing now. <coughs> which is maybe, you know, maybe some of you are going through extreme emotional upheavals at this moment, but most of us are neither one extreme or the other. It's like this. This sense of observing without defining. It's very important that you don't need to define or uh, experience all the time because we're now looking from the intuitive intelligence rather than from the intellectual. So you can know what you're feeling right now without having to label it as good, bad, uh, whatever uh, words that you might seek to explain it. Just uh, recognize, witness to it. It's the way it is. So this statement, this reflection, the way it is, is not a definition, is it? Not, it's not a value judgment about whether it's good or bad, but it's noti it helps to notice whatever way it is, it is the way it is. <laughs> Obvious truism. <coughs> but it's also honest because it's not, you know, it's not trying to justify, defend, deny, resist, spin, or whatever you might do. It's just a recognition. So this uh, witnessing, the sense of being the witness, the knower, then you recognize that the reality of being conscious entity, being a human being, a conscious Entity, separate entity, <coughs> is the experience of knowing. 
It's what consciousness is. And you can know. So, using this term, the witness or the knower, or puto, the 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 Buddha, the mantric form puto, the one who knows or the knowing. Is just re learning to relax and and be in that, allowing ourselves to be in a state of awareness. You know, not creating anything onto, uh, onto the experience of here and now, but just being the knowing of it's like this, the body is like this. Breathing, the mood, the emotional state, the, the mood of the mind is like this. The sound of silence is like this. Now when we become a person, when we operate from personality habits, then we make judgments. You know, so we, because on that level of the conditioned realm, it's always good, bad, right, and wrong, big, small, and so forth. And then we, what is better, good, better, best, bad, worse, worst, is how the intellect functions. You know the difference, be the witness of your intellectual function. Because you can you can observe your you know, your your thinking mind and its judging tendencies, its preferences, its choices, its values that are, you know, both personal and social. Whatever. We acquire values through the conditioning process from cultural conditioning, education. But beyond that intellectual conditioning is the intuitive intelligence, the knowing. Then this is this is what I'm pointing to to learn to recognize and trust in this witnessing, this knowing, this pure state of being that isn't before you become uh, your personality. So this is the puto, the, the knowing, the intuitive intelligence, knowing the way it is. So then, uh, what does the Buddha know? The Buddha knows the Dhamma. Not claiming to be Buddha, because to claim, if I claim to be the Buddha, then I have to go back to my intellectual conditioning. 
you know, to start thinking I am or I am not, whatever. The, so I'm not on a personal level claiming Bhutto is, is my nature because that put, throws me right back into that realm of the conditions of thought and concept and definition and identity. But if I trust in the awareness, then the then that then in terms that we want to use use uh, say the Buddhist vocabulary, what is the like the Pali language, the Theravadan scriptural teachings, the Four Noble Truths, the Paticca Samuppada, all these these kind of uh, teachings are not for intellectual uh, delight alone. I mean, they have their intellectual value, admittedly. But they, it's a vocabulary, you know, a way of expression. They are common language we develop uh, that is, it gets beyond just the personal, the cultural That, that we have as individuals. You know. So we, in a community like this is very international, come from different parts of the planet, different age groups and classes and races and so forth. So that this is, we all have our conditioning to deal with, you know, the way we, we our values, our cultural habits, but if we're learning the common language, the Dhamma language, then, then this isn't, you know, this is, is, a, is an acquisition, admittedly. We're learning how to use, skillfully, this tool for awareness, for enlightenment, for liberation. It's not meant to reinforce a personal identity. So in uh, the Buddha, uh, gave his first sermon, the Four, Four Noble Truths, he took the, the dukkha, the suffering. This is a universal experience, isn't it? This is not cultural. It's what we, we all share human beings living on this planet, every human being on this planet can relate to the first noble truth as experience, suffering. <coughs> so it's not promoting us a kind of ethnic deity of any sort or a, or a particular religious uh, programming of, you know, belief but pointing to a, a, a common, quite ordinary, banal reality that we all have, we all can recognize. And so this is, you know, putting in the context of the uh, Dukkha, Dukkha Samudhaya, Dukkha Niroda, Dukkha Niroda Kamini Bhattipata, the, the Pali words. Dukkha then 
is the word, which is, a, you know, in some ways, much better word than the English translation of suffering. But we're not looking for for accuracy or perfection in in definition or in translation, but using the tool for what it's meant to do. You know, you have a knife and you just end up trying to polish it and sharpen it without using it, then it merely remains an artifact and doesn't free you at all. So we're not looking at Buddhism as an artifact, some kind of ancient tradition to preserve uh, as an antique or some precious object, but it is it is meant for use. So there's Puto Tammo, this relationship, the Buddha, uh, the knowing, witnessing. So when we, you know, I've used that mantra many, many years, Puto, because it, it, uh, it just reminds me all the time of the reality of this moment. It's not an abstract idea of Buddha. It's not, not some kind of uh, created image of Buddha that I'm talking about. It's, it's taking the word itself, the two syllables of that word, and, and then using that word for recognition of this. This awareness is like this. the witnessing, the moment right now that each one of us has experienced of witnessing, observing, knowing. Like just the mood that you find, that you recognize, that you're experiencing now. The knowing of that mood. It's the way it is. It's not uh, when you describe it on a personal level, my mood and good, bad mood or whatever, then it becomes more than that. And that it becomes more than the Dhamma, it becomes a complicated personal problem, a scenario, a, a drama. But if, it, if we just keep it to the pure state of knowing, then it's Dhamma. So the Dhamma then is translated in English as the truth of the way it is. And then the truth of the way it is, is not, we're not told, you know, what we have to believe is the truth, but pointing to the, the way things are actually, the way we are experiencing at this time, whatever we're experiencing, whatever mood, whatever sensation, sensory impression, thought, is it's changing, it's a Nietzsche. So when we're reflecting on Dhamma, then we're, we're really, you know, we're, we're out of the personal interpretation into the, the witnessing of change is like this. 
anicca dukkanata, in regards to conditioned phenomena, the three characteristics of existence. The English word existence means that which comes forth. You know, it stands out. So conditioned phenomena, you know, it, it comes forth, it's born, it, it arises. It begins and ends. So, so this is the base sankaranicca. All conditions, all sankaras are impermanent. This uh, kind of continuous reflection on this, and applying that to every every sankara. Well, you know, not just the the obvious ones, but as you trust in the awareness more and more, you're aware of subtle movements. Uh, emotional movements or mental movements, just like uh, evanescent, hardly noticeable to to us most of the time. But as the 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 awareness connects, where we we really rest and trust in this state of awareness, then then the the awareness has a, this this connected you know it, it's embracing this moment it's not just you know flashing on and off like the conditioned realm does so the fact that you can actually witness observe change in in the way you're feeling in the what your body's feeling or what the the movement of thought, the uh, the uh, whatever you know the five khandhas in their in the in their reality of changing of anicca, that which is aware the puto is aware of the dhamma. So in this way, you take it like the refuges, Bhutang, Tamang, Sankang, Namasami, the, the three refuges, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. And you're actually using these words not for personal attachment, but for reflection, the vocabulary, skillful means. I used to contemplate, say, Bhutangs are Nangachami. What do I, you know, I can say that just without understanding what the words mean or just saying it w in a, a perfunctory way, you know, without really reflecting on it. You know, the monks say, oh, now repeat after me, Bhutangs are Nangachami, and you repeat after. But what does it really mean? You know, what is its value? Is it just ceremony, custom, no, not really necessary. Or does it have more profound use? Well, for me, it has a profound use. You know, it's, it, it's, uh, it reminds me, of a refuge is a safe place to be, isn't it? When you go to a refuge, you're going to, you, you, you find a safe, a place of safety an acceptance where you can be at ease, where you can relax, be yourself, 
refuge then in Buddha, Bhutto, Bhutang Sarnangachami. This is this is what I mean. It's this just this much. It's awareness. Because it is a safe place to be. To be aware is the only safety we can count on as individual entities. So it's getting to know and recognize that this Bhutang Sernangachami. I take refuge in the Buddha, to me, is, is a very simple, imminent awareness. Then the taking refuge in the Buddha puts me in that relationship to Dhamma. Seeing the way it is, not judging the way it is. Seeing the way it is. So this is, you know, the wisdom faculty is the discerning ability from, in, from the Bhutto knowing the Dhamma, the Buddha knowing the Dhamma. Then this, this is knowing the way it is. It's not judging the way it is. So if all conditions are impermanent, all Dhamma is not self. Then they chant in the morning pujas, sapet sankara nicha sapet tamanata. These aren't just empty uh, traditional chants that have no, you know, that we do just for to preserve a custom. These are actually, uh, you know, reflections that we can use for our lifetime. So in, in the you know in this this is this is a tradition this is a um, you know something that has been carried on from one generation to the next and it can we can make any tradition any convention into some personal identity so you say I'm a Buddhist I'm Theravada Buddhist and and we define ourselves in this way on a personal level. Which is fair. I'm not against that. I'm not uh, saying that's wrong to do. But if that's all, if that's where, you know, if you don't go any further than that, if you don't internalize it, then it's just you're just learning, uh, you know, about it. You know, you, you, it's just the uh, the surface, superficial. <coughs> And it's also divisive. If I'm a Buddhist and somebody else isn't, then there's a division, isn't there? You go Christian group, and I'm a Buddhist, and you're a Christian, and you're a Muslim, and all like that. And then we we divide, and then we compare, and we and we argue, or we try to convert, or we try to defend, or impress, or whatever we do on that level of conventional reality. 
So it's a divisive, you know, the intellect is divisive. It functions to divide good from bad, right from wrong. So that's why you can't trust your intellect. It's not, you know, it's, it's always, it's, you'll, you'll just be stuck in that realm of dualism if you can't get beyond the intellectual habits you have. The identity, the ego, the sense of me, as Sakya Ditti, is, is based on that, on thought, on memory. You know, so, so my, my history, my past, my background, my abilities, my life is based on memory. You know, I think I was born, and usually, you know, the, the CV, the curriculum vitae that they ask when you, for in books or in, when you're giving a public talk, something, you want like your history. They, it's usually the same old boring thing, born in Seattle, Washington, was a, the American monk. And on, on like this, so so these are the the uh, you know the the curriculum. These are memories, aren't they? These are not. This is not a person. This is a memory. In terms of you know, I can remember. I can't remember being born, but uh, I certainly remember Seattle, Washington. I grew up there. <laughs> But the, uh, uh, the but the the memory is, it can arise in the present, isn't it? It arises now, and they think you create a person with that, a personality. If I'm the convention, then I you know my I create myself always in terms of the convention, being senior monk or disciple of Ajahn Shah, or Theravadan Buddhist, or um, Mahatera, or Tanjau Kun, Raj Sumetajan, got a posh title. These are, you know, if, if, if one holds to these as identities, then one's limited to that. And none of these identities uh, can be liberating unless you see them in terms of Dhamma. So that even the posh title, if I, you know, start thinking I'm Tanjo Kun Rat then with awareness, that posh title takes me to emptiness, doesn't it? Because it arises and ceases. So from the puto, the title is, is then seen in terms of Dhamma rather than some kind of personal accomplishment. You know what I mean? It, it's outside this sense of oneself as, as identified with memory, with the body and the memories that we have. <coughs> So 
So the aim is to not to be attached to the titles or the descriptions or the definitions or the concepts, but to be able to use all conditioned phenomena. It all takes us to the cessation of itself. You know, when you in the when you trust in the puto as your refuge, then then every con all conditions they arise and they cease. So everything takes you to emptiness, to cessation. If you allow it, if you see it in as from the puto position rather than from personal attachment, personal opinion. So in, in this retreat, you know, there's just to explore this until it really, you really, you know, know this for yourself. It's something, it's, some, it's definitely provable, not a matter of faith and, and belief in what I'm saying at all. It's not what I would recommend, not to you know, not, not to disbelieve what I'm saying, but to take into account, put it into practice, you know. It's to putting it in terms that, that aren't so Buddhist. What is my real self? Now, the Buddhists don't usually talk like this because they don't have a real self, but, you know, this is another way of exploring this moment, isn't it? If this moment, what is it that is aware of all this? of me, the sense of me as a person. What is it that's aware of the, the mood that I'm experiencing right now? The, what is it that's aware of the memories that arise? And what is it that can be aware of my own opinions, my views, my preferences, my likes and dislikes? Because these we can actually observe, you know, what I like and don't like. You know, as a person, I still experience like and dislike. This is not, you know, doesn't <coughs> change that. But the relationship to like and dislike, no longer believing in my likes and my dislikes in the in the way I did before I questioned and investigated through the awareness of conditioned phenomena. So this kind of investigation, <coughs> you know, like Yoniso Manasikara, is Pali word, getting to the root, to where, where things arise and cease, getting to the source. Well, what is, what is then Yoniso Manasikara for each one of us at this moment? You know, we can understand the idea and think, I've got to really get to the source and 
develop my practice and not, you know, not get any nearer than just think we should do it or it's a good idea. And this is where it takes that, that you know, the recognition. This is it. This is Yoniso Manasikara. This is the source. Getting right to the source is through this awareness. Attentiveness in the present. Attention. So it's not something you 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 acquire. It's you recognize. It's not like created. If you acquire something, then you acquire concentration on an object, and you get the result of that. And then that 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 acquisition is also means you lose it. If whatever you get, you have to, you know, will will eventually go away, cease. So in meditation practice, you know, if your your whole aim is to acquire and achieve, then whatever you achieve during formal procedures, meditation retreats and all that, then you'll have the sense of loss because your your attitude is based on this ignorance of, you know, through concentrating the mind in quiet uh, conditions, controlled conditions and things like this, then one the the mental experiences change. You know, in the monastery we're trying to keep things to a more kind of calm level. We don't want, you know, excitement and you know, kind of uh, big parties and extravaganzas and brawls and rages and raves and things like this. You know, things are really exciting and stimulating. We move more toward uh, kind of stillness, silence. So then when, when something does happen, you know, something untoward or loud noises, or we go into London, we get shattered by the the noise the distraction the the violent movements of of the world around us because we we tend to get attached to the conditions we're in identified with them now the awareness is isn't dependent on you know silence and stillness awareness is uh, is not it's not a created uh, controlled situation, but a natural state of being. So, like I experienced it through listening. So, the sound of silence, this resonating cosmic vibration. is now so, you know, it's, uh, it's so conscious that it isn't, a, it's not a created state. I don't create it. It's not something I have to sit down and close my eyes and shut you all out. You know, the, 
you know, you're interfering with my communion with the ultimate reality. Uh, so I have to sh close my eyes or tell you all to go out of this temple so I can uh, commune with the ultimate. This, this allows me to, you know, at this very moment, the reality of this sound of silence is just as strong and real at this moment. Even though I'm talking into a microphone looking at you, it isn't a, it's embracing and it includes everything. It doesn't demand exclusion in order for it to appear. Where anything you create with your mind, then you have to control a situation. You have to exclude things that get in the way. You know, if you're into having a lot of silence and stillness, sensory deprivation, you know, we have to go around, you know, with our forefinger on our lips telling everybody to go, shh, don't speak. We have to tell the world around us no tsunamis during this retreat, no volcanic eruptions, no earthquakes, no alarms. I demand utter tranquility and peaceful conditions for my life. <clears throat> so I can hold on to this tranquil state as long as I, you know, as long as possible. But the stillness, the sound of silence, isn't dependent on on uh, conditions being quiet and subdued. So, and because I don't create it, it's not, doesn't have no beginning or end in terms of my experience. It, my attention can vary. And it's distracted and absorbed into, into conditions. But there's more and more uh, you know, recognition of not, you know, n not just living in that realm anymore of going from one condition to the next, like I used to do. Where they, my, my character, my condition, personality, tendencies, habits, and all that were based on, you know, going from one thing to another. Not noticing the space, the emptiness, but just existing through attachment, identity with something, with an object, with the body, with the appearance of the body, with the health of the body, with the memories, with the um, perceptions, identity with the views and opinions that I have on, on that condition level, condition plane. Those are creative, they rise and cease. <clears throat> so what is it that doesn't arise and cease? Now, here and now. And this isn't meant to, for you to answer the question, is this or that, but to just use this way of inquiry as a stimulus to awareness and paying attention, to listening to opening and listening.
in the 22 Indriya, the last three of the 22 Indriya are the Anya, Danya, Sami, Dintari, Yang, Anyintari, Yang, Anyada, Wintari, Yang. And these are the, the knowing faculties. Stream entry to Arahant. <coughs> So these uh, knowing about the path and then knowing the the uh, the the stages and then the perfect knowing is Anyata wintry young, the, the arahant, perfect knowing. So this is like knowing, isn't it? This English word, puto, is knowing. Is recognize that 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 we're in the state of knowing. We can know all about things too, and we can know everything in the wrong way. When we know about things, as we're told or conditioned to think or from our own personal preferences and we can get it all wrong you know we can have all kinds of prejudices that we acquire vi biased views distortions of thought uh, that, um, that you know why we have so many wars and problems in in the society in the world because we all, you know, have prejudices, preferences on that level of conditioned phenomena. And even, you know, in religion, you can see how confused the religion is at this time in general speaking. Because it, you know, with Christians, Muslims, Jews and all that, they're the same God, you know, but they argue and, you know, vilify each other abuse each other around things like ultimate reality. <clears throat> and because they've got opinions about ultimate reality, they've got a view, they've got a bias. If you're a Christian, then you've got a Christian bias, or a Muslim bias. So, I mean, these are, these, these are you know, the, the biases that form from being attached to convention. But in, uh, you know, in awareness, then the ultimate truth, ultimate reality is not coming from a bias. It's, you know, Buddha even refused to, to name it. Just referred to the deathless or the Amata Dhamma. Not that, you know, not asking us to believe in the deathless, in some idea of deathlessness. Not, not a request for belief, but a pointing. Yes. Through this awareness, then, the ultimate reality is our refuge. Because that awareness is the gateway, the 
the opportunity that we have every moment to rest in that ultimate truth, in Dhamma. And then see things from then experience coming from that position is then, you know, interpreted in the way it is, not not the way it should or shouldn't be, but all conditions are impermanent. Now we we have all Dhamma is not self, can't find a separate self anymore. For me to be a separate person, I have to create myself again through memory. I'm Ajahn Tomato, that's a memory, isn't it? That's not a reality. That's a, I'm, I remember I'm Ajahn Tomato. So I say, I'm Ajahn Tomato. I remember. That's memory. Or say, you know, the body, I'm a, I'm a man. <coughs> and I remember, isn't it? I remember that uh, the body is called male and that I am this body and therefore I am a man. It's quite logical. And just a, an identity that never goes beyond question. But before I create myself as a man, as a male, isn't it? The puto is not male or female. Male and female are the dualisms of the condition, you know, part of that dualistic structure. So if we're condemned to that as our identity, then and that we suffer accordingly from the limitations of that identity. But if we trust in the awareness, then that, that embrace, male, female, you know, these, these are conventions that, that are, you know, nothing wrong with them, but nothing, you know, not trying to get rid of them, but to see them in terms of Dhamma, not in terms of personal preference. personal bias, personal conditioning. So breaking down, you know, seeing, you know, as you, as you uh, connect, the mindfulness connects. Now to me that is just the simple ability I have in this present to be with the sound of silence. That carries me like a stream. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't just disrupt itself and cease. It has this c continuity. like a flow. If you develop awareness around the sound of silence, you can really come strong. Like in the, tell about the place in Chiang Mai that I teach where they have this waterfall and this stream, or falling rain, or these hollow sink discs that are becoming popular. 
with just the sound of rain. As you know, it's any kind of continuous flowing sound, flowing of a stream. And this sound of silence is the stronger. For me, anyway, with behind all that, the 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 uh, the sound of the flowing stream or the falling rain is the sound of silence. Rather than than uh, smothering that sound of silence, it seems to emphasize it, make it even stronger. <coughs> So noticing this, why is it like this? It's like, like training my self-consciousness. I've talked about this problem of being, you know, uh, having this sense of myself, a strong kind of self-consciousness, being always in a position, like I'm in right in this moment, sitting on the high seat, everybody looking at me, or listening, self-consciousness. So, this self-consciousness dissolves in the stillness, in the sound of silence, it, it dissolves. If I was not suppressing it, I'm not trying to suppress myself, you know, and trying to not be self-conscious, because that's just another form of self-consciousness. Me, I'm the teacher, I'm the whatever, you know, and then the being first in the line and being this and that and being somebody, having a title is uh, always this, this it brings up this sense of self very strongly. And it used to be very, you know, you spent 40 years now as a monk, nearly 40 years, you know, always being self-conscious, so much of it just, you know, being, being the, the, the only Western monk in a Thai monastery, or a standout, and then coming to live in the UK, uh, where, you know, dressed like this, standing out, becoming known by others and having given titles and positions and so forth. So this increases self-consciousness. Uh, Sense of myself, the separation of myself from you, from the world, me, as an isolated personality, a special human being, special entity. And this this can be has its good side and also its its uh, its unpleasant side. It's it, on the self level. It's it's not very nice to always be a special person. It's nice to just melt into a crowd and be nobody. <coughs> and that's really possible. And go to a sangha meeting at Wat Pong is the best most opportunity I have is to melt into a crowd. But I'm still taller than all the rest, <laughs> and special. <laughs> so it's not the point of of uh, of making a problem about self-consciousness, but recognizing who creates it, 
You know, I create it. I create myself. So when I see, then I don't have to create myself. There's no self. And the problem is gone. To recognize this is through recognition. It's not through through some kind of mental gymnastics that I'm deluding myself with. This is just, you know, recognizing the way it is. To know the difference between awareness and self, puto and the ego. The puto can know the ego. The ego can't know puto. You know, so if you're if coming from the self, I want to take refuge in the Buddha and know the Buddha and all that. You never will. You have maybe form opinions and create images about best you can do on that level. But that which is aware of the ego is the puto. You get to the to the source to the very source of being, which is here and now. Attention, here and now. An alertness to consciousness. And reflecting the way it is. So you have the, the Dhamma teachings as, as helpful means, skillful means to help us there. They're not meant to be positions we take. Like Paticca Samupada, you know, there's so many arguments around whether it's three lives or simultaneous arising. It's kind of lost its point if we just take a position on one side or the other. Isn't that because it's just it's just an empty kind of intellectual game then, <clears throat> where if we really reflect, use the Paticca Samupada or dependent origination for with awareness, with Satipanya, then it's, then it's very valuable, useful, skillful means for furthering uh, understanding, for insight. <clears throat> When I was in Sri Lanka, when we went to that ordination last June, you know, there's somebody, a young monk, a Western monk from Poland. He was, he was, uh, you know, I'd never met this guy before, but he obviously had heard of me and read something about me or heard something about me. And he, you know, he kept looking at me in this kind of hostile way. And we just, you know, chatting with the other monks, and it was just a kind of social visit, chit chat, and looking at the, the the hermitage and so forth. And then it was time to go. So I said, "Well, wh I'd like to go to the toilet first. Where is the toilet?" So I started to move toward the bathroom. And this monk suddenly 
comes and he says, You're wrong! But teacher Samupada is three lives, it's not simultaneous. <laughs> 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 when you're on the way to the toilet, somebody wants to discuss dependent origination. It's not... <laughs> This is not the time or the place for this kind of discussion. <laughs> and he didn't want to discuss, he was just telling me, you know, because he obviously had a view. He formed strong views about things like that, you know, and you really, you know, you can see the, the intensity of the emotion behind that. He's obviously carrying it, you know, around and, and just, you know, operate, you know, waiting for an opportunity to attack. <coughs> but uh, this is like holding a view about Paticca Samuppada and, and this is what Paticca Samuppada is trying to, you know, its purpose is to free us from that from that kind of behavior so how does it work? you know, and this is an exploration. If you if you decided it's three life uh, because somebody else says so, then that's your decision. But maybe it's not. Maybe it can be used in a different way. And so this is you know this is where the Dhamma teachings are. In, you know don't you know somebody some great teacher tells you what you should think or how you should interpret scripture. It doesn't mean you have to do it that way. Because this is a opportunity for investigation, you know, the way, you know, from the point of consciousness that happens to be you, from this formation here, this, this uh, karmic being, the way it is, the way I am. So this is, uh, you know, the Buddha's invitation encouragement towards awakening and awareness is, is a great compassion really because it, it it's not forcing us into into a position of, of right and wrong or or what's true and what's false it's a it's a uh, invitation to awaken to life itself to learn to be free from the suffering that we create if we don't open to life, if we merely operate from ignorance and the conditioning uh, habits that come from that. 